Hello and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of AZ Vineyard Church. This week, enjoy the podcast as truth is revealed in God's Word. Go get a notebook, grab a Bible, and expect to have an encounter with God today. Okay, let's be real. Christmas isn't always a fun time of the year, is it? Let's be family. It can be a real struggle for people at Christmas. This might be the first Christmas since you lost somebody you love. Your kids may have moved out of the house and you're kind of all alone at Christmas and it doesn't have the the luster it once had, right? Christmas can be lonely and dark, but that's not what God intended. God intended for Christmas to be a time of hope and a time of peace and a time of joy. And you know what's really funny? Is sometimes we even feel guilty because we don't feel good about Christmas, right? We already don't feel good, and then we feel guilty because we don't feel good. You know what that is? (laughs) That's a trick and a lie of the devil. And I'm going to show you why and how. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity and the privilege to share your word with the people in this house. And I pray, Father God, that these things that you've shared with me will change lives, Father God, that it will bring light and hope and joy into this season as we, as we are celebrating the second advent of this Christmas season, Lord God. We just ask for your hope and your glory to fill this house. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So John asked me the Wednesday before Thanksgiving if I would speak today. And if any of you know me, I don't like last-minute things. Like, I, need, I like to know, like, three months out when I'm going to be speaking so I can start praying and I can start listening and I can start planning and I can start preparing. And I usually have a really cool PowerPoint presentation that y'all can look at that instead of at me. Right? Yeah. So... I started praying, and John gave me what his upcoming sermon, you know, titles are going to be, and, you know, what he feels like the Lord is saying, and he threw out a couple of things, one of which was hope. So I began praying about what the Holy Spirit would reveal to me as I prepared for this message of hope. So the Lord spoke a message to me, and he speaks to me, if I'll slow down enough to listen He speaks to me. And I have news for you. He speaks to every single one of you in this room if you're willing to listen. So I felt like hope was the message for today. And so I'm a preparer. I started listening to sermons on hope. I downloaded a couple of uh, Hope version Bible devotionals on my phone. I... um, bought a book from Max Lucado on hope, and I started just immersing myself as quickly as I can to prepare for today on hope. And wouldn't you know it, that little stirring in your spirit of hope started to well up. And it's like, wow, God is so good. Why do we get blinders on and we forget how good he is? So God confirms things with me because I'm not always a very good listener or I have doubts about what's going on. And so um, the weekend after Thanksgiving, we're getting out our Christmas decorations. And right now I have 
myself and my husband, Ed, and my son, Cody, my, my bonus daughter, Dana, and my granddaughter, Leah, who's 15 months, and my brand new grandson, who is five weeks yesterday, all living in my house with me. So floor space is at a premium in my house right now. So I was like, do I get the big tree out and put it up with all the ornaments? Or do I put the little tree up that's already decorated and lit and we can just stick it on a shelf somewhere? I'm like, let's go with the stick it on the shelf tree. So I have this little four foot tree up in my attic and it's already decorated and has the lights on it and all you gotta do is pop it out of the box, put it together and put it on the shelf, right? So that's kind of where we're at in my life right now. So we pull, and I remembered when I bought it that it had kind of a word on the bottom. I thought it was maybe peace or joy or Noel, right? I pull it out and put it together and guess what it said? Thank you for paying attention. You are absolutely correct. It said hope. So I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm listening. And then last Sunday, so that was last Friday, Friday or Saturday, we did the decorations. And then Sunday, out of the blue, Linda and I are in the hallway talking, and she starts telling me this testimony. And I'm like, wow, wow, wow. It would be really hard to stay hopeful during that. And then she tells me the name of her daughter's rehab center was Hope. And I'm like, all right, Lord, that's confirmation. So... <clears throat> Okay, so I kind of took all of that information that I've been trying to assimilate in a short amount of time, and I've tried to narrow it down into five points. Five is my favorite number. It's the number of grace. So please have grace with me this morning. I am not a um, Bible expert. There's many of you in this room who know a lot more about the scriptures. I'm simply a student that tries to listen to the Lord and give what he gives me. So we're going to do a quick overview of the book of, and I even, this is so funny, I'm going to be honest. I even looked up how to pronounce the name of this book of the Bible right. I've known the names of the books of the Bible because I am a, I'm a, a graduate of the Awana program in the Baptist Church. So I know the books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I know them. But I'm like, oh, I don't want to mispronounce this book. So we're going to go to Habakkuk. Got that? It's in the Old Testament. And we're going to do a really quick overview because we got a lot of stuff to do today. I'm so excited for what God's doing in this house today. So let's turn... And I got new glasses so I can actually see my Bible, which, yay, I don't always have to use my phone and blow it up. So here we are. We're going to go to Habakkuk, and we're going to go to chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 1 through 4. So let me give you a little bit of background so you know where we're at with, with this book. Um, it's a short three-chapter book. It's written by the prophet Habakkuk. This book was written during a difficult time in Judah's history as Babylon, as Babylon was becoming the dominant world power. So um, Babylon was coming in. Judah and Israel were not listening to God. They were doing evil things, and God basically allowed the Babylons to come in and take off his people into captivity, right? Pretty dark time. We're supposed to be talking about hope, right? It's coming, I promise, it's coming. So if we look at verse 1, and we're going to read verse 1 through 4. 
Habakkuk's complaint is how this starts. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. I feel that way sometimes when I watch the news. I'll be honest. I feel that way sometimes when it seems like evil people win and good people are constantly under attack. I, anybody else in the room? So what does he do? He complains. He complains. He's honest. I think sometimes we're afraid that God will be upset with us if we're honest with him. And guess what? He's a big God. He can handle how we feel. He created us. So the first thing we can learn is admit the truth of where you're at. Pray. The first thing we do is pray. We are honest. We admit to God where we're at and also admit it to yourself. Sometimes we try to not dwell on things that are not good in our lives. We just kind of ignore it. Maybe it'll go away. doesn't work. <laughs> I've tried it a lot. Um, admit it to God and admit it to others. Admit where you're at. Be real. Ask honest questions. Wrestle if you must. It's good to be real. Philip Yancey says, Human beings do not readily admit desperation. When they do, the kingdom of heaven draws near. And then the second part of that, when you pray, we complain, right? And then we need to be willing to listen for God's answer. Prayer is a two-way thing. We pray, we make our requests made known, we complain if we must, and then we listen. Be willing to listen for God's answers. And Habakkuk, it, the rest of Habakkuk 1, we're going to go quickly because I got a lot and we want to hurry. Um, he continues, God answers him, he listens, and God replies, tells him, Babylonians are coming, and they are going to wipe you out. It's just what he wanted to hear from God, I'm sure. And then he continues to complain in verse 12 through uh, 17. He continues to complain to God. And then in verse two, or chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I will climb up to my watchtower. I will stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. So how often do we complain, 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 and then run around and try to fix the problem ourselves. Me, all the time. All the time, I'm real good at that. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. One of the hardest lessons God taught me was how to be still. Not to try and fix it, not to try and solve it, just be still and listen. Peter Marshall said, Teach us, O Lord, the disciplines of patience, for to wait is often harder than to work. Yeah. Point one, pray and listen. If you're writing it down, I suggest you do. Number one, pray and listen. Number two, write down your thoughts and the questions and what you feel God is saying to you. Keep a prayer journal. Verse 2 of Habakkuk, 
Habakkuk, Habakkuk, potato, potato, okay. For some reason, I have a hang-up on that. <laughs> the Lord's second reply, chapter 2, verse 2. Then the Lord said to me, write my answers plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. The vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. So why do you think God wanted Habakkuk to write this stuff down? It was going to take a long time, yep. And... They were going to all be taken into captivity, all but just a few. And they're going to be in, in a dark place, and they're going to need that hope written down. So that when God comes through, did you hear that? Yeah. Not if God comes through, but when God comes through, he can prove himself faithful to his people. They will remember. He's a God of his word. Also, here's the other reason you want to write it down. Your spiritual enemy, the devil, whatever you want to call him, whatever name you choose to give him, he wants to pluck those seeds of hope that God's given you. He's good at stealing truth. The very act of putting words on the page, on a screen, produces a testimony, it seals a memory, and it helps to hold you accountable. Yeah. So I will be the first to admit, I am not good at this. I am terrible at this, but I'm super proud of, of my bonus daughter, Dana. She's just started a prayer journal. I'm sorry, Dana, I'm telling on you. She, uh, <laughs> she has been faithfully writing down her prayers and the things that are going on in her life. And I'm like, I'm inspired by her. I'm like, yep. She, if she can do it, I can do it. So if she can do it, we can all do it, right? So number one, pray and listen. Number two, write down the things that God tells you, your thoughts, your prayers, write them down. And number three, continue to wait on the Lord. In Habakkuk, if we go back to Habakkuk 2.3, this vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. The Hebrew word for the appointed time in the New International Version that says, the Habakkuk 2.3 says the appointed time. And the Hebrew word, I had to throw this in for Jim and Rod and all you smart people, is, <laughs> word nerds, is moed which means the right time, the affixed time, or the divinely chosen time that God permits something to happen. So are we supposed to make everything happen? No. no. We're supposed to, what's number one? Pray and listen. Number two is write it down. And number three is wait. Wait. There's an old saying that God is rarely early. He's never late but he's always right on time. Amen. That's Moed. He's always right on time. Amen. There are lots of examples of waiting in the Bible. Moses led the people of Israel on a 40-year road trip. It was not a 40-year distance from where they came from to promised land. It was not a 40-year distance. But guess what? They needed time to wait. 
The Apostle Paul waited 13 years after his radical conversion to preach his first message. 13 years. That's a long time. Unless you're older like me, that's a very short amount of time. <laughs> I encourage you to get to know God better in the waiting times. There's a song I like to listen to. It says, he's in the waiting. And I've found that to be so true. Amen. Waiting is an active thing. It's not a passive thing. It's an active thing. We use it to, he uses those waiting times to prepare us for the things that he has promised. In Isaiah 40, 31, let's turn there real quick. It's to the left. And a lot of you uh, are familiar with this. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. Some versions say those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So when I think of soaring high on wings like eagles, you have a whole better vantage point, right? Sometimes I feel like the little chihuahua with the legs that are this big and you're just struggling through the mud and, you know, that's because we try to do it ourselves. If we just wait on the Lord, listen for his voice for the next step, he helps us to rise above our circumstances and see what's on the horizon. Let's go to James 5, 7, and 8. Ooh, my eyes are misty. Let me find it. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Be patient. I would sing the song that I sing to the kids, but I'm not that great of a singer. But it talks about be patient. Don't be in a hurry. Remember that God is patient too. I see, my, I, see, I see people shaking their heads. They know that song. <laughs> and Psalm 27, 13 through 14. Okay. I'm going to find it. Open it in the middle. You'll find it. Twenty-seven. We're going to look at verse 13 and 14. This is David. He says, Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Wait patiently for the Lord. Why do you think we have to be brave and courageous while we're waiting for the Lord? Because it's usually in the waiting that all the, can I say crap? Usually in the waiting that all the crap is happening to you, right? Let's be real. Wait patiently for the Lord. Uh, number, what number are we at? Number one, pray and listen. Number two, write it down. Number three, Wait, 
wait, wait. Number four, remember the promises of God. Second Peter 1, 4. Let me see. I'm going to read it out of a different version. Second Peter 1, 4. In the New American Standard, for by these things he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Who wants to be a partaker of his divine nature? Flying above it, right, on wings of eagles? having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. That would be the crap that comes at you in the time of waiting. It's because of the corruption of this world, right? When we know his promises, it builds our faith. Because a lot of times... God doesn't answer our prayers in the time that we want, in the way that we want. But if we know his promises, we stand on them. And we continue to pray and listen and write it down and wait, and we remember. Hebrews 11, 7 through 16, I'm going to read this out of the message. This is the, a lot of us know this, this is the, um, the uh, heroes of the faith chapter, right? So this is, I'm just going to give you some examples of people in the Bible, right from the Bible, that had to wait. By faith, Noah being warned by God, I'm in verse 7, 11, Hebrews 11, 7. By faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, Prepared, remember that word, reverence. In reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah did not build an ark in a week. They had never seen rain. It made absolutely no sense for him to be building this ark. God told him, he trusted, he did the steps that God gave him, and he waited. And his family was saved because... He knew the promises of God, and he was faithful to what God told him. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place where he was to receive an inheritance. Who told him to go out because he was going to receive an inheritance? God did. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Looking for the city built by God. Verse 11, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life. Who promised Sarah that she would have a baby? God. Did it make any sense? By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life 
since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore because that's what God had promised. All these died in faith without receiving all of the promises. Abraham didn't see the millions of descendants, did he? No. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. We all have an opportunity to look back and go back. But as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared that city for them. Is that good news? Those people, they were just people. They held on to the promises of God even in long times of waiting. They were rewarded because they held tight to the promises of God. We don't get to determine what the promises of God look like. He does. Because he's God, we're not. God's promises are like our family fortune. I like family fortunes, right? We all like anticipate the uncle we never knew passes away and we get all this money and we're never going to have a problem again and it's all going to be great, right? The question I have for you today, are you smart enough to sit and hear the reading of the will? So as I'm reading Max Lucado's book, those who are interested, it's called Unshakable Hope, Building Our Lives on the Promises of God. He states in there, one student of scripture spent a year and a half attempting to tally the number of promises God has made to humanity. He came up with 7,487 promises. God's promises are like the pine trees in the Rocky Mountains of scripture, abundant, unbending, and perennial. Some of the promises are positive, the assurance of blessings, some are negative, the guarantee of consequences, but all are binding. For not only is God a promise maker, God is a promise keeper. When you read the promises of God in his word, you come to know him better. And through that relationship, your trust in him grows. If you know somebody well enough to know they're going to come through, it doesn't matter if they don't show up until two minutes before. You have built a relationship with that person, and you know they're going to show up, right? That's how our relationship with God should be. Jesus' definition of faith in the story of the centurion in Matthew chapter 8 is this. Faith is the deeply held belief that God will keep his promises. We don't have to see it. We know God is good and he keeps his promises. The Roman soldier understood that what God says will happen. In Hebrews 6.18 in the New Living Translation, it says it is impossible for God to tell a lie. Titus 1.2 says he doesn't break his promises. So the question we need to answer is not will God keep his promises, but the question we must ask ourselves is are we willing to build our lives on his promises? Okay. Number one, pray and listen. Number two, write it down. 
Number three. Wait. That's a hard one. Number four. Number five. My favorite one. Remember that as people of the promise, we have unlimited access to hope. We live in a day of despair and despondency. The suicide rate in America has increased 24% since 1999. I have personally experienced family members and loved ones that have committed suicide. I have had family members attempt suicide. And I have ministered to others who are contemplating it. I'm sure suicide has touched many in this room as well. It's not something we like to talk about. It's difficult. If a disease saw a spike of 24% death rate, it would be deemed an epidemic. How can we explain this phenomenon? We have technology. We have wealth. We have education. We have things that our ancestors could not even have dreamed of to make our lives easier. We're saturated with entertainment and recreation. Yet the fact is more people than ever are orchestrating their own deaths. People are dying from lack of hope. Secularism, materialism, all the isms, the me mentality, it's all about me. It reduces our life to a few years between birth and hearse and there's no hope in it. Many people really believe that this life is all there is. And this life, let's, let's be real, this life can really suck sometimes, right? I said another not-so-good word from the pulpit. It leave, life here on earth is hard, and it leaves us wanting heaven. That's what we were made for. We were made for heaven. So many people try so many things, trying to make this life bearable when the only answer is Jesus, that personal, intimate relationship with the promise maker, the promise keeper. And until you know that, you don't have true hope. But we that are his children, the children of hope, the people of the promises, we have an advantage, right? We need to remember this. We have an advantage. We can determine ourselves to ponder these promises, to proclaim these promises, to pray these promises, and most of all, to share these promises. Romans 4.20 out of the message says, Abraham did not tiptoe around God's promises, asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promises, and he came up strong. Do you want to be stronger? Plunge deep into his promises. When we are going through one of the troubles of, our, of life, Jesus promised us we will have troubles. And I know every single one of you in this room and those who can hear my voice on the recording have had troubles. It's promised. We will have troubles. But, this is the lo- part I love. Linda said, but, but, but God. But God. He says, Jesus says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We don't have to overcome the world. We need to know the overcomer. We, as the children of hope, 
When things come our way, we're seen flipping through the scriptures. Okay, I know there's got to be a promise about what I'm going through. 7,487, there's got to be one, right? We, with our advantage, are able to filter this life through the promises of God. So we have this filter, and when the junk happens, that filter is the promises of God, and we start to sift it, and we start to shake it, and only the gold that God has intended for us to get out of those experiences drip through. Psalm 24, 14 says, Friendship with God is reserved for those who reverence him. Remember a little bit ago I said, don't forget this word, reverence. Reverence is important. We need to know that God is God. He's not to be trifled with. He's not our genie in a bottle. He is all-powerful creator of the universe. And we are so fortunate that he loves us. Friendship with God is reserved for those who reverence him. With them alone, he shares the secrets of his promises. For every problem in life, God has given us promises. Make it your aim to get so acquainted with his promises that you can pull them out like a bottle of good medicine. You can dispense them as needed. John said the other day in staff meeting that the enemy's strongholds are our own thoughts. And I 100% agree. He said one time, you can get in an elevator every day, you can choose to go to the penthouse with Jesus, or you can push the button to the basement and spend your day there. It's your choice. We have a choice. I want to choose to be in the penthouse. I'm not good at basement living. I suck at it. (laughs) There's that word again. I know that if I can overcome negativity, depression, feelings of hopelessness that I face, I face those things. I can defeat the enemy. And he loses his power over my thought life and my emotional health. In the 23rd Psalm, he says, he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. That means we get to sit. We don't have to cook the meal. We don't have to chase all the enemies away before we can sit and eat the meal. Jesus is waiting. Come sit with me. Come sit with me. Have a plate with me. And you know what thumbs your nose in the enemy's face more than anything else? When we sit down with Jesus and we wait and we eat and we rest and we rise up on wings like eagles and we soar above our circumstances and the world looks at it and goes, how can you be so happy? You're going through a terrible time. Because Jesus loves me. Even if my life is falling apart, Jesus loves me and that doesn't change. I have the hope of eternity because my life is held in his hand, no matter what's happening around me. Okay, I got one more minute. So I want to end today with a quote from Max Lucado's book. It says, we are building our lives on the promises of God. Because his word is unbreakable, our hope is unshakable. We do not stand on the problems or pain in life, and boy, don't we want to. Don't we want to get together and rehearse everything bad going on in our lives? And there's nothing wrong with that. We need to be real with each other. But we have to share our complaints, share our things that are going on, and then, but God, right? We have to end all of our complaining with, but God. 
We are building our lives on the promises of God because his word is unbreakable. Our hope is unshakable. We do not stand on the problems or pain in life. We stand on the great and precious promises of God. Amen. Thanks for listening to AZ Vineyard Church's podcast. We're located in Goodyear, Arizona. To learn more about our church, visit our website, azvineyard.com. That's A-Z-V-I-N-E-Y-A-R-D.com. 